0: Chapter twenty eight of Marius the Epicurean Volume two by Walter Pater This Librivox recording is in the public domain Chapter twenty eight Anima Naturaliter Christiana Those eight days at his old home, so mournfully occupied, had been for Marius in some sort of forcible disruption from the world and the roots of his life in it. He had been carried out of himself as never before and when the time was over it was as if the claim over him of the earth below had been vindicated over against the interests of that living world around dead yet sentient and caressing hands seemed to reach out of the ground and to be clinging about him looking back sometimes now from about the midway of life the age as he conceived at which one begins to redescend one's life though antedating it a little in his sad humour he would note, almost with surprise, the unbroken placidity of the contemplation in which it had been passed. His own temper, his early theoretic scheme of things, would have pushed him on to movement and adventure. Actually, as circumstances had determined, all its movement had been inward, movement of observation only, or even of pure meditation, in part perhaps because throughout it had been something of a meditatio mortis ever facing towards the act of final detachment death however as he reflected must be for every one nothing less than the fifth or last act of a drama and as such was likely to have something of the stirring character of a denouement and in fact it was in form tragic enough that his end not long afterwards came to him in the midst of the extreme weariness and depression which had followed those last days Cornelius, then, as it happened on a journey and travelling near the place, finding traces of him, had become his guest at white nights. It was just then that Marius felt, as he had never done before, the value to himself, the overpowering charm of his friendship. More than brother, he felt, like a son also, contrasting the fatigue of soul which made himself in effect an older man with the irrepressible youth of his companion for it was still the marvellous hopefulness of cornelius his seeming prerogative over the future that determined and kept alive all other sentiment concerning him a new hope had sprung up in the world of which he cornelius was a depositary which he was to bear onward in it identifying himself with cornelius in so dear a friendship through him marius seemed to touch to ally himself to actually to become a possessor of the coming world even as happy parents reach out and take possession of it in and through the survival of their children for in these days their intimacy had grown very close as they moved hither and thither leisurely among the country places thereabout cornelius being on his way back to rome till they came one evening to a little town marius remembered that he had been there on his first journey to rome which had even then its church and legend the legend and holy relics of the martyr hyacinthus a young roman soldier whose blood had stained the soil of this place in the reign of the emperor trajan the thought of that so recent death haunted marius through the night as if with audible crying and sighs above the restless wind which came and went around their lodging but towards dawn he slept heavily and awakening in broad daylight and finding cornelius absent set forth to seek him the plague was still in the place had indeed just broken out afresh with an outbreak also of cruel superstition among its wild and miserable inhabitants. Surely the old gods were wroth at the presence of this new enemy among them, and it was no ordinary morning into which Marius stepped forth. There was a menace in the dark masses of hill and motionless wood against the grey, although apparently unclouded, sky. Under this sunless heaven the earth itself seemed to fret and fume with a heat of its own, in spite of the strong night-wind and now the wind had fallen. Marius felt that he breathed some strange heavy fluid, denser than any common air. He could have fancied that the world had sunken in the night, far below its proper level into some close thick abysm of its own atmosphere. The Christian people of the town, hardly less terrified and overwrought by the haunting sickness about them than their pagan neighbors, were at prayer before the tomb of the martyr, and even as marius pressed among them to a place beside cornelius on a sudden the hills seemed to roll like a sea in motion around the whole compass of the horizon for a moment marius supposed himself attacked with some sudden sickness of brain till the fall of a great mass of building convinced him that not himself but the earth under his feet was giddy a few moments later the little market-place was alive with the rush of the distracted inhabitants from their tottering houses and as they waited anxiously for the second shock of earthquake, a long smouldering suspicion leapt precipitately into well-defined purpose, and the whole body of people was carried forward towards the band of worshippers below. An hour later in the wild tumult which followed, the earth had been stained afresh with the blood of the martyrs Felix and Faustinus. Flores Apererent in Terra Nostra AND THEIR BRETHREN, TOGETHER WITH CORNELIUS AND MARIUS, THUS AS IT HAD HAPPENED, TAKEN AMONG THEM WERE PRISONERS, RESERVED FOR THE ACTION OF THE LAW. MARIUS AND HIS FRIEND WITH CERTAIN OTHERS, EXERCISING THE PRIVILEGE OF THEIR RANK, MADE CLAIM TO BE TRIED IN ROME, OR, AT LEAST, IN THE CHIEF TOWN OF THE DISTRICT, WHERE INDEED IN THE troublous DAYS THAT HAD NOW BEGUN A LEGAL PROCESS HAD BEEN ALREADY INSTITUTED. UNDER THE CARE OF A MILITARY GUARD THE CAPTIVES WERE REMOVED ON THE SAME DAY one stage of their journey sleeping for security during the night side by side with their keepers in the rooms of a shepherd's deserted house by the wayside it was surmised that one of the prisoners was not a christian the guards were forward to make the utmost pecuniary profit of this circumstance and in the night marius taking advantage of the loose charge kept over them and by means partly of a large bribe had contrived that Cornelius, as the really innocent person, should be dismissed in safety on his way, to procure, as Marius explained, the proper means of defense for himself, when the time of trial came. And in the morning Cornelius, in fact, set forth alone from their miserable place of detention. Marius believed that Cornelius was to be the husband of Cecilia, and that, perhaps strangely, had but added to the desire to get him away safely. We wait for the great crisis which is to try what is in us. We can hardly bear the pressure of our hearts as we think of it. The lonely wrestler, or victim, which imagination foreshadows to us, can hardly be oneself. It seems an outrage of our destiny that we should be led along so gently and imperceptibly, to so terrible a leaping place in the dark, for more, perhaps, than life or death. At last the great act. THE CRITICAL MOMENT ITSELF COMES EASILY, ALMOST UNCONSCIOUSLY. ANOTHER MOTION OF THE CLOCK and OUR FATAL LINE, THAT GREAT CLIMATIC POINT, HAS BEEN PASSED, WHICH CHANGES OURSELVES OR OUR LIVES. IN ONE QUARTER OF AN HOUR, UNDER A SUDDEN UNCONTROLLABLE IMPULSE, HARDLY WEIGHING WHAT HE DID, ALMOST AS A MATTER OF COURSE AND AS LIGHTLY AS ONE HIRES A BED FOR ONE'S NIGHT-REST ON A JOURNEY marius had taken upon himself all the heavy risk of the position in which cornelius had then been the long and wearisome delays of judgment which were possible the danger and wretchedness of a long journey in this manner possibly the danger of death he had delivered his brother after the manner he had sometimes vaguely anticipated as a kind of distinction in his destiny though indeed always with wistful calculation as to what it might cost him and in the first moment after the thing was actually done he felt only satisfaction at his courage at the discovery of his possession of nerve yet he was as we know no hero no heroic martyr had indeed no right to be and when he had seen cornelius depart on his blithe and hopeful way as he believed to become the husband of cecilia actually as it had happened, without a word of farewell, supposing Marius was almost immediately afterwards to follow, Marius indeed having avoided the moment of leave-taking with its possible call for an explanation of the circumstances, the reaction came. He could only guess, of course, at what might really happen. So far he had but taken upon himself in the stead of Cornelius a certain amount of personal risk, though he hardly supposed himself to be facing the danger of death. Still especially for one such as he, with all the sensibilities of which his whole manner of life had been but a promotion, the situation of a person under trial on a criminal charge was actually full of distress. To him, in truth, a death, such as the recent death of those saintly brothers, seemed no glorious end. In his case, at least, the martyrdom, as it was called, the overpowering act of testimony that heaven had come down among men, would be but a common execution from the drops of his blood there would spring no miraculous poetic flowers no eternal aroma would indicate the place of his burial no plenary grace overflowing forever upon those who might stand around it had there been one to listen just then there would have come from the very depth of his desolation an eloquent utterance at last on the irony of men's fates on the singular accidents of life and death The guards, now safely in possession of whatever money and other valuables the prisoners had had on them, pressed them forward, over the rough mountain paths altogether careless of their sufferings. The great autumn rains were falling. At night the soldiers lighted a fire, but it was impossible to keep warm. From time to time they stopped to roast portions of the meat they carried with them, making their captives sit round the fire and pressing it upon them but weariness and depression of spirits had deprived Marius of appetite even if the food had been more attractive, and for some days he partook of nothing but bad bread and water. All through the dark mornings they dragged over boggy plains, up and down hills, wet through sometimes with the heavy rain. Even in those deplorable circumstances he could but notice the wild dark beauty of those regions, the stormy sunrise and placid spaces of evening. One of the keepers— a very young soldier won him at times by his simple kindness to talk a little with wonder at the lad's half-conscious poetic delight in the adventures of the journey. At times, the whole company would lie down for rest at the roadside, hardly sheltered from the storm, and in the deep fatigue of his spirit, his old longing for inopportune sleep overpowered him. Sleep anywhere and under any conditions seemed just then a thing one might well exchange for the remnants of one's life for. It must have been about the fifth night, as he afterwards conjectured that the soldiers, believing him likely to die, had finally left him unable to proceed further under the care of some country people, who to the extent of their power certainly treated him kindly in his sickness. He awoke to consciousness after a severe attack of fever, lying alone on a rough bed in a kind of hut. It seemed a remote, mysterious place as he looked around in the silence, but so fresh, lying in fact in a high pasture-land among the mountains that he felt he should recover if he might but just lie there in quiet long enough even during those nights of delirium he had felt the scent of the new-mown hay pleasantly with a dim sense for a moment that he was lying safe in his old home the sunlight lay clear beyond the open door and the sounds of the cattle reached him softly from the green places around recalling confusedly the torturing hurry of his late journeys he dreaded as his consciousness of the whole situation returned the coming of the guards but the place remained in absolute stillness he was in fact at liberty but for his own disabled condition and it was certainly a genuine clinging to life that he felt just then at the very bottom of his mind so it had been obscurely even through all the wild fancies of his delirium from the moment which followed his decision against himself in favour of cornelius the occupants of the place were to be heard presently coming and going about him on their business and it was as if the approach of death brought out in all their force the merely human sentiments there is that in death which certainly makes indifferent persons anxious to forget the death to put them those aliens away out of their thoughts altogether as soon as may be conversely in the deep isolation of spirit which was now creeping upon marius the faces of these people casually visible took a strange hold on his affections the link of general brotherhood the feeling of human kinship asserting itself most strongly when it was about to be severed for ever at nights he would find this face or that impressed deeply on his fancy and in a troubled sort of manner his mind would follow them onwards on the ways of their simple humdrum every-day life with a peculiar yearning to share it with them envying the calm earthy cheerfulness of all their days to be still under the sun Though so indifferent, of course, to him, as if these rude people had been suddenly lifted into some height of earthly good fortune which must needs isolate them from himself. Tristum neminum fecit, he repeated to himself, his old prayer shaping itself now almost as his epitaph. Yes, so much the very hardest judge must concede to him and the sense of satisfaction which that thought left with him disposed him to a conscious effort of recollection while he lay there unable now even to raise his head as he discovered on attempting to reach a pitcher of water which stood near revelation vision the discovery of a vision the seeing of a perfect humanity in a perfect world through all his alternations of mind by some dominant instinct determined by the original necessities of his own nature and character, he had always set that above the having, or even the doing, of anything. For such vision, if received with due attitude on his part, was in reality the being something, and as such was surely a pleasant offering or sacrifice, to whatever gods there might be, observant of him. And how goodly had the vision been! one long unfolding of beauty and energy in things upon the closing of which he might gratefully utter his vixi even then just ere his eyes were to be shut for ever the things they had seen seemed a veritable possession in hand the persons the places above all the touching image of jesus apprehended dimly through the expressive faces the crying of the children in that mysterious drama with a sudden sense of peace and satisfaction now, which he could not explain to himself. Surely he had prospered in life, and again as of old the sense of gratitude seemed to bring with it the sense also of a living person at his side. For still, in a shadowy world his deeper wisdom had ever been, with a sense of economy, with a jealous estimate of gain and loss, to use life not as the means to some problematic end, but as far as might be from dying hour to dying hour an end in itself a kind of music all-sufficing to the duly trained ear even as it died out on the air yet now aware still in that suffering body of such vivid powers of mind and sense as he anticipated from time to time how his sickness practically without aid as he must be in this rude place was likely to end and that moment of taking final account was drawing very near a consciousness of waste would come, with half-angry tears of self-pity in his great weakness, a blind, outraged, angry feeling of wasted power, such as he might have experienced himself standing by the deathbed of another, in condition like his own. And yet it was the fact again that the vision of men and things actually revealed to him on his way through the world had developed with a wonderful largeness the faculties to which it addressed itself, his general capacity of vision, and in that too was a success in the view of certain very definite well-considered undeniable possibilities throughout that elaborate and lifelong education of his receptive powers he had ever kept in view the purpose of preparing himself towards possible further revelation some day towards some ampler vision which should take up into itself and explain this world's delightful shows as the scattered fragments of a poetry till then but half understood might be taken up into the text of a lost epic recovered at last. At this moment his unclouded receptivity of soul, grown so steadily through all those years, from experience to experience, was at its height. The house ready for the possible guest, the tablet of the mind wide and smooth for whatsoever divine fingers might choose to write there. And was not this precisely the condition, the attitude of mind to which something higher than he, yet akin to him, would be likely to reveal itself, to which that influence he had felt now and again like a friendly hand upon his shoulder, amid the actual obscurities of the world, would be likely to make a further explanation. Surely the aim of a true philosophy must lie not in the futile efforts toward the complete accommodation of man to the circumstances in which he chances to find himself, but in the maintenance of a kind of candid discontent, in the face of the very highest achievement, the unclouded and receptive soul quitting the world finally with the same fresh wonder with which it had entered the world still unimpaired. And going on its blind way at last with the consciousness of some profound enigma in things as but a pledge of something further to come, Marius seemed to understand how one might look back upon life here in its excellent visions, as but the portion of a race-course left behind him by a runner still swift of foot. For a moment he experienced a singular curiosity. Almost an ardent desire to enter upon a future the possibilities of which seemed so large. And just then, again amid the memory of certain touching actual words and images, came the thought of the great hope, the hope against hope, which as he conceived had arisen luxidentibus in upon the aged world, the hope Cornelius had seemed to bear away upon him in his strength with a buoyancy which had caused marius to feel not so much that by a caprice of destiny he had been left to die in his place as that cornelius was gone on a mission to deliver him also from death there had been a permanent protest established in the world a plea a perpetual afterthought which humanity henceforth would ever possess in reserve against any wholly mechanical and disheartening theory of itself and its conditions that was a thought which relieved for him the iron outline of the horizon about him, touching it as if with soft light from beyond, filling the shadowy hollow places to which he was on his way, with the warmth of definite affections, confirming also certain considerations by which he seemed to link himself to the generations to come in the world he was leaving. Yes, Through the survival of their children, happy parents are able to think calmly, and with a very practical affection of a world in which they are to have no direct share, planning with a cheerful good-humour the acorns they carry about with them, that their grandchildren may be shaded from the sun by the broad oak-trees of the future. That is nature's way of easing death to us. It was thus, too, surprised delighted that Marius under the power of that new hope among men could think of the generations to come after him without it dim in truth as it was he could hardly have dared to ponder the world which limited all he really knew as it would be when he should have departed from it a strange lonesomeness like physical darkness seemed to settle upon the thought of it as if its business hereafter must be as far as he was concerned carried on in some inhabited but distant and alien star contrarywise with the sense of that hope warm about him he seemed to anticipate some kindly care for himself never to fail even on earth a care for his very body that dear sister and companion of his soul outworn suffering and in the very article of death as it was now for the weariness came back tenfold and he had finally to abstain from thoughts like these as from what caused physical pain AND THEN AS BEFORE IN THE WRETCHED SLEEPLESS NIGHTS OF THOSE FORCED MARCHES, HE WOULD TRY TO FIX HIS MIND AS IT WERE IMPASSIVELY, AND LIKE A CHILD THINKING OVER THE TOYS IT LOVES ONE AFTER ANOTHER, THAT IT MAY FALL ASLEEP THUS AND FORGET ALL ABOUT THEM THE SOONER, ON ALL THE PERSONS HE HAD LOVED IN LIFE, ON HIS LOVE FOR THEM DEAD OR LIVING, GRATEFUL FOR HIS LOVE OR NOT, RATHER THAN ON THEIRS FOR HIM, LETTING THEIR IMAGES PASS AWAY AGAIN OR REST WITH HIM AS THEY WOULD in the bare sense of having loved he seemed to find even amid this foundering of the ship that on which his soul might assuredly rest and depend one after another he suffered those faces and voices to come and go as in some mechanical exercise as he might have repeated all the verses he knew by heart or like the telling of beads one by one with many a sleepy nod between whiles FOR THERE REMAINED ALSO FOR THE OLD EARTHLY CREATURE STILL WITHIN HIM THAT GREAT BLESSEDNESS OF PHYSICAL SLUMBER. TO SLEEP, TO LOSE oneself IN SLEEP, THAT, AS HE HAD ALWAYS RECOGNIZED, WAS A GOOD THING. AND IT WAS AFTER A SPACE OF DEEP SLEEP THAT HE AWOKE AMID THE MURMURING VOICES OF THE PEOPLE, WHO HAD KEPT AND TENDED HIM SO CAREFULLY THROUGH HIS SICKNESS, NOW KNEELING AROUND HIS BED and what he heard confirmed in the then perfect clearness of his soul, the inevitable suggestion of his own bodily feelings. He had often dreamt he was condemned to die, that the hour, with wild thoughts of escape, was arrived, and waking with the sun all around him in complete liberty of life had been full of gratitude for his place there, alive still in the land of the living. He read surely now in the manner the doings of these people, some of whom were passing out through the doorway where the heavy sunlight in very deed lay, that his last morning was come, and turned to think once more of the Beloved. Often had he fancied of old that not to die on a dark or rainy day might itself have a little alleviating grace or favor about it, the people around his bed were praying fervently, Abbi, Abbi, Anima Christiana. In the moment of his extreme helplessness their mystic bread had been placed, had descended like a snowflake from the sky between his lips. Gentle fingers had applied to hands and feet, to all those old passageways of the senses through which the world had come and gone for him, now so dim and obstructed, a medicinable oil. It was the same people who in the grey austere evening of that day took up his remains, And buried them secretly with their accustomed prayers, but with joy also, holding his death, according to their generous view in this matter, to have been of the nature of martyrdom, and martyrdom, as the Church had always said, a kind of sacrament with plenary grace. End of chapter twenty eight. End of Marius the Epicurean by Walter Pater. Recording by Philip Gould.